Welcome to P.S. Blossom, a podcast series driven by purpose and the belief that each of us has the power to transform the world for the better. We are here to be a catalyst for activism. We believe in empowering individuals and powers communities. We also recognize that unless we engage in the issues of race, gender, and class within reproductive and maternal health, we cannot be a part of the solution. Our goal with P.S. Blossom is to empower all women, especially Black, Indigenous, and women of color, to advocate for their health care their way. These are conversations creating change. Please be sure to like, subscribe, leave comments, and share. Welcome back to part two of Reproductive Health and Racial Equity. Listen in as Liza shares her story from the Reproductive Justice Framework. Stories help to shift cultures. Can you describe the difference between reproductive health or reproductive rights? So reproductive health is a direct provision of care, but it doesn't really account for the differing levels of access. Reproductive rights is the individual legal rights to health and services is typically focused on abortion and ensuring access to family planning and comprehensive sex education and reproductive justice. But Sister Song defines reproductive justice as the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable ways. They're very different. And I personally come from a reproductive justice framework. That's just where my values are rooted. I think being a woman of color obviously influences that. And I appreciate the RJ reproductive justice framework because it's looking at the whole picture of what's affecting your access. We have the right to abortion right now. A lot of people do not have access to abortion care. And so I appreciate the RJ framework because it's allowing you to think deeply and holistically about each person and what is inhibiting their ability to make decisions that will affect their reproductive health. It could be economic justice, it could be environmental justice in a community that doesn't have sufficient access to transportation to be able to get to your provider. Are these abortion restrictions closing down all of the clinics that are nearby and you have to literally cross the state to get care? Who is providing care for your children if you have children? Are you going to lose your job because you took several days to travel to get care? So what are two policies that are profoundly impacting women of color and people of color right now? And how can they advocate for these policies? There are so many policies right now that would have a profound impact for women and people who are pregnant and are parenting. The two things that come to mind are doula coverage and expanding postpartum coverage under Medicaid. For doula coverage, it's not covered widely. I worked at a reproductive health organization that is a leader in the movement. And 
touts their insurance coverage. You know, it is comprehensive. They obviously make sure abortion is covered. But when it came time to think about, can I get a doula? I did not have access. My FSA wouldn't cover doula care. And I just had to make a decision to say, okay, save up some money. I'm going to hire a doula. I think if it was covered, I would have probably hired a doula much early on in my pregnancy. I kept putting it off because it is really cost prohibitive, but it is also necessary. But I did hire a doula and right in time because I gave birth the next day after oh. I hired my doula. And that was the one day she actually told me not to give birth because she had a scheduled birth that day. I ended up having her only for an hour, two hours at most, but I needed her. I needed her presence. My partner was really annoying me. He was probably doing everything just fine, but he was <laughs> telling me that I was, he's like, you're doing it. And I was like, I'm not doing it. And so it was when she arrived, they worked in a way that worked seamlessly for me. She provided the support that I, I needed. My partner was able to like run and warm up this, you know, bag of rice. There was a a counter pressure method that they use to kind of help with the contractions and make it a little more manageable. And so just between the two of them, it was like, I was really grateful to have a doula there. My son was born and had some issues that we didn't anticipate any issues and Nikki had to come, but we had a plan. He was having the doula there, allowed him to also just go be with the baby. And I'm still being looked after and cared for yes, by my healthcare team, but also I have my doula and I have somebody there. I think that is something that people are thinking about and grappling with and see and know the value, yet it's not covered in insurance as a basic level of medical care. And it should be. A lot of advocates are working very hard trying to get doulas whether reimbursed through Medicaid or covered under insurance. And I think that that would have a profound impact, especially for women of color, especially for black women and folks who are pregnant and giving birth and postpartum. Again, a lot of people forget about you during the postpartum period. Most maternal deaths are happening in the postpartum period. There's a reason why when you're looking at maternal deaths, the maternal mortality review committees are investigating maternal deaths, they're looking at a year postpartum because that is where the bulk of deaths are occurring. If we have insurance companies covering and Medicaid reimbursing a appropriate and reasonable rate because some Medicaid reimbursement is very low and doulas can see you throughout your entire pregnancy during labor and delivery, which can range from 12 hours to 72 hours. There are some where you can make sure you have labor and delivery and that's it. There are some plans where you have the kind of full spectrum of pregnancy, labor, delivery, and postpartum. They all range in cost and the doulas deserve to get paid appropriately. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it feels like a very cis white woman privileged service to me. I know that doulas are doing their best to make sure that the care is accessible. I know that there are doulas who are providing a sliding scale in general and or 
may not even charge their clients who are Black, Indigenous, or, or folks of color, which is incredible. And there may be programs across the country where they're working to get doulas to the folks that need it. The policies are not such that you can say, yeah, I'm going to hire this doula on my insurance. It's going to cover it. No big deal. Or I know as a Medicaid recipient that this will be covered. Like it's not. And do you have $700, $1,000, $2,000 to just make sure that you have something that is life-saving that can help you navigate a system, a medical system that has a challenging history of how it's treated folks of color, especially black folks. And so it shouldn't be a privilege to be able to access, but I think as it is set up, it is a privilege still for many. You said you put it off getting a doula until basically the last minute. (laughs) So would you say to women who are on the fence about it? And do you have a doula right now? There are a few reasons why I put it off. I was a surrogate the first time I had a baby and I kept thinking, I did it. Maybe I don't need a doula. Another piece of it was I was a little anxious about it and kept putting it off. And I think the fact that it was out of pocket was a problem for me. I know that babies are expensive. I'm trying to save all my pennies. I'm not taking any time off because although I had 12 weeks paid, every day that I took off was one day less I could be at home with recovering or with my infant. And so, and that's why I think it it really gets me because I'm thinking I have a good salary. I have comprehensive benefits and I still felt I didn't just have seven or $800 or however much I have to save every penny because I'm going to have this baby and babies are expensive. And we live in Washington, D.C. And how are we supposed to have this baby in Washington, D.C.? We don't have enough money is all I kept thinking. Even though what I should be worrying about is, oh, I'm going to deliver a baby in hospital. We know that medical (laughs) institutions can be racist. I know what I experience when I go to the different providers. Mm -hmm. And what I need to be worrying about is, am I best positioned to be able to have this baby and do it safely versus all these other factors about cost or whether insurance is going to cover it or whatnot. I should just be working on finding the right doula for me Mm -hmm. and making sure I have whatever support I think I need during that time and on that day and hopefully even postpartum. Which I will say gets back to the work that you're doing now. (laughs) (laughs) But to you. (laughs) Right. And so I am grateful that I hired my doula and she was fantastic. And I interviewed with a few different doulas and they don't take it personally. You find the right person for you. It's a very intimate process to give birth, regardless of how you give birth, whether medicated, unmedicated, whatever it may be. I didn't have a doula the first time. I actually lucked out with my first birth in terms of doula because my nurse happened to be an abortion doula. And when it came time to actually push this baby out, (laughs) I panicked and didn't think I could do it in the moment. And the nurse, she calmed me down in a way that I just paused when I finally got calm and said, wait a minute, you're a doula. And she was an abortion doula. She didn't tell me she was an abortion doula. We can have a whole conversation about that another time. I am also an abortion doula. Even though I didn't end up hiring a doula the first 
delivery, I was fortunate enough to have someone who had the skill set to calm me down. So I knew the value of having a birth doula. So I knew that I should have a doula my entire second pregnancy and still waited till the end for all those reasons I mentioned. I do have a doula now where we interviewed. She's fantastic. And I'm really excited to feel more prepared going into this particular uh, birth. How do you advocate for something that is cost prohibitive, but it's crucial? Why do you think it's not considered an essential need? Advocacy is pretty broad and folks can see what's happening in their states. And if there's legislation that's already being introduced, maybe it's not being introduced and they can even ask their legislators to consider introducing model legislation. They have to hear from their constituents that people care about this and and want it and need it. Tell them that this is something that's important to you and you want it passed. I think another could be working with your local RJ, reproductive justice or reproductive rights groups. And they're doing the tracking. They know what laws and bills are being introduced. People can, if they have the capacity, they can go and testify when it's being heard in committees because, you know, it has to go through a certain amount of committees. If it dies in a committee, then that's it. People need to hear from folks. But I also understand that people have to work and or have children or other caregiving responsibilities. So that's a whole nother privileged method of activism. Another thing that folks can do is reach out to their employers, find out from your HR reps, do we have doula coverage? Put it on their radar. They may not even think that folks want or are thinking about having this. You could ask your HR folks or your leadership to prioritize that. Can your employer negotiate with the insurance company to have that included in part of their policies. And every year there is a negotiation process that they're going through before the open enrollment. Maybe they've tried to negotiate, they're not going to cover it. Will the employer cover this for employees who are considering being pregnant and giving birth and having access to a doula? And then even, I understand that retaliation is very real. And so for folks who may be pregnant or considering being pregnant or just even thinking about their future, if you might be having some hesitations about going to your employer directly or to your HR, maybe there's someone who may not experience that retaliation who can ask for you, maybe a co-conspirator. Is there an employee advocacy group within the corporation that you can go through it? Do you have a union? Maybe you can go through your union and ask them to, is this something that can be covered under insurance? If not, can it be an employee benefit? And make the case to your employers that this will help their bottom line. I mean, they're going to seem more desirable to employees that may get pregnant or want a family. And they're going to retain staff that they've hired and value and want to keep. So it's a win-win. It's a win-win. So hearing wins all around, (laughs) it sounds like something that employers should jump on. But the second question, why do you think that it's not? I have lots of feelings about maternal health in this country. And 
it's not really been prioritized. I think that when we think about laws that affect people who are pregnant or parenting, like substance use during pregnancy, those laws were really targeted at the mother or at the person who was pregnant and what their activity was versus how are we making sure that we're supporting this pregnant person and giving them the tools that they need to be their best self after they have this baby? Are we providing them the the services that they need? And that's just one example, but it's a testament to how our policies have always been centered around how do we protect this baby, but not necessarily how do we ensure that the whole package is Mm -hmm. supported and protected, including the person who's carrying and giving birth to this baby. So I think not having certain things covered like midwives or doulas or lactation consultants covered throughout the ages is largely because we weren't prioritizing the person who's pregnant and going to be giving birth and parenting. I also think there's a lot more awareness now that there wasn't before. When I think about lactation services, which I can go on about lactation services as well, because like it is covered by the ACA. I paid for all of that out of pocket, even though technically my insurance should have covered it. And I know quite a bit of other folks who did not have those services covered, even though the ACA requires covered. But there's also just more awareness for doulas and for pelvic floor physical therapy and for lactation support. There's not enough research on breastfeeding and chest feeding and lactation up until very recently. It was illegal in certain states. And so that's wild to me because I definitely have breastfed in a Costco with no cover. (laughs) And, And I definitely felt the stigma a little bit, but worked hard to push past it. I think even between the last, my son's going to be three, between the last three years and now, there seems to have been some progress made in terms of destigmatizing breastfeeding and chest feeding and hopefully less shaming around how people choose to feed their children and parent. Thinking about doula care and pelvic floor physical therapy, I'm definitely pushing my mom and and mother-in-law to go to a pelvic floor physical therapist because Pelvic floor PT is, it just spans like your lifetime. If you had, you know, had your children or gave birth or not, you can have any of these issues without having been pregnant or given birth. You know, if you have any kind of pelvic floor dysfunction and you're postpartum, you can address it at any age. All to say there's a lack of awareness as well that I think is a another element of why a lot of this is not considered an essential benefit that should be part and parcel of your basic insurance coverage and health care. There are other countries that have, this is part of the care. There's, there's no question about it. And that's not what's happening here. A lot of folks don't know that this is something that could be part of their care and should be. I definitely am a big supporter. It's incredible and works wonders. And uh, a lot of it is breath and breathing and mental critical piece of postpartum care is your mental health as well. Surrogacy, postpartum care. If no one else takes away anything, pelvic floor physical therapy. <laughs> like, what are you talking about right now? <laughs> okay, Liza. 
I have a couple remaining questions for you, though. So the first is, what your three go-to resources? Well, you're going to laugh because one of them I'm not <laughs> going, going to laugh. is uh, Undivided Rights, Women of Color, Organizing for Reproductive Justice. It's an incredible book. And so for folks who are wanting to learn more about reproductive justice or the difference between reproductive health rights and justice and the movements, it's something that I go back to regularly as I'm thinking through how to approach the work that we're doing now and through an equity lens. I'd say the other, which is what you might laugh at, are I follow a bunch of pelvic floor physical therapy Instagram accounts. I had physical therapy for probably about a year and it was life-changing. I remember just giving birth and feeling like, oh my goodness, I'm 31 and I have to deal with what? It just flipped my life of feeling like a little more in charge of my body and knowing that there are tools to be able to recover and be back to my normal self, which I think can be challenging. Some people are lucky. So I follow all these public floor physical therapy accounts and I learn something new all the time. I'd say another resource or set of resources, I've switched sectors a bit and then I'm I've moved out of the sexual reproductive health movement. I managed estate policy updates when I was at Guttmacher and I found them very useful. And so I still find them very useful. Folks are wanting to know what policies are, are moving or what else is maybe being tracked that's beyond abortion access. They can scroll through the different organizations and see what they're tracking. And there's contraception, there's family planning, there's infertility coverage. You don't have to be steeped in, in policy to see what's being passed. Yeah, I actually love that all of the resources that you described are accessible online or in some other fashion. Speaking of online, where can we find you? I have a Twitter handle, Liz Muhammad. LinkedIn is an option. I feel like Erica mentioned LinkedIn. It's Liza Marie M is the last. Yeah, so Liza Marie Muhammad on LinkedIn. Okay, awesome. So I am a Marvel fan on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Sam asked a very pivotal question of the crowd, and it was, how are you going to use the power that you have to make a difference? And the question that I am adding to that is, and what type of impact do you want to leave on the world? My instinct is to say, I have no power. And I remember that's kind of a symptom of white supremacy culture, thinking that you have no power. So realizing I have maybe some, just a little bit is something. And I really hope that our efforts will push corporations to think about retaining their employees, how they can create more supportive environments for them and provide, whether it be internal policies at the employer level, or pushing their insurance companies to provide more comprehensive care. If we can make sure that employees know that they can take the time that they need to heal, to create the families that they want to create, whatever that may look like, and bond and be whole during such an incredibly important and critical time in their lives, then I will be happy. Um, So 
I'm going to ask the person who said, who's going to take care of me after I have this baby, after I take care of this baby, what type of impact do you want to leave on the world? You have a lived experience that is so powerful. You are telling a very powerful story. I want to make sure that I'm centering those who are most impacted. I think that's the the impact I want to I want to leave. I want to create a world where any of these policies are accessible to anyone that my son can grow up and know I can take the time that I need if I want to expand my family in whatever way that folks can feel like they have the resources they need to take care of themselves. I think about curb cuts and how they were put in on the corners so that folks can who have disabilities can access the street. And if you're thinking about who it's impacting, those who needed it and were most vulnerable, people who had strollers, it helped the elderly, it helped travelers with their suitcases, like it helped everyone. And so I hope that the impact any impact that I may have in the world is with the mindset of a curb cut and making sure that those who are most impacted are centered because everybody else will benefit. I just want everybody to be able to live their full lives, live their best lives. What's your superpower? I think my superpower is being a mom, being a parent. Because it is not easy. It's very challenging. I signed up for this and it is the hardest thing I've ever done day in and day out. And so I think if I can keep us alive and at least one of us thriving, that's a superpower. I love that. We'll get to the point where both of us are thriving, but <laughs> thriving, and that's a win in my book. Liza, you're amazing. Thank you. You're amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today for PS Blossom. Thank you for sharing your lived experience. I feel like you started as a young child and writing letters to Planned Parenthood. And yet I feel that we're about to see a different stage and the world has... A Reckoning Coming with Liza Marie. I cannot wait. I'll try to live up to this. Do my best. I feel it. I'm, I'm feeling this, this wave of doing your best. So thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today on PS Blossom. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. And reach out to Liza at Liza Marie Mohammed on LinkedIn or Liz Mohammed on Twitter. Have a great day. Thank you for having me.